2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmity. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's read verse number 8 and 9 once more. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for tonight. Thank You for another good day. Lord, I pray tonight that You would gain glory and that Your will would be accomplished in this service this evening. Lord, we don't know what to do. We don't know what each heart needs. And even if we knew, we wouldn't know how to meet that need. But God, we know that You're sufficient tonight. You're able. So, Lord, we ask You tonight to be our, our all in all, our one in all, and our one and only. Lord, to meet our needs for Your glory and for our good. If there's any amongst us that are lost, show them their need of salvation. We'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You. We ask every bit of it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, over the past, I guess you'd say four weeks now, we've been in the throne rooms on Sunday morning. We've seen all manner of wonderful and awe-inspiring things. But tonight we come to Paul's throne room experience. And it's a little bit different because we're really not told anything about Paul's throne room experience. In fact, the thing that Paul talks about is not what went on in the throne room, but what went on after the throne room. And it feels fitting, I guess, after four weeks of being in the throne room to just take a little bit of a break for a moment tonight and talk about what can happen in our lives after we've had some throne room experiences. 
The context of Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 is he's speaking about his glory. There were some that had come into the Corinthian church, and it seems like they did this a lot of times. You know, the Bible says to beware when all men speak well of you. And the Apostle Paul had, had about as many slanderers as he did supporters. In fact, probably a whole lot more slanderers than he did supporters. And there were some that came in and said, you know, that Apostle Paul, he's not really an apostle. That Apostle Paul, he's not really a man of God. That Apostle Paul, he really, he's a charlatan. That Apostle Paul, he don't really love you like he says he loves you. He don't really care about you like he says he cares about you. So Paul says, I didn't want to be pushed into this. I didn't want to be forced into this. But if they require it of me, I'll become a fool in glory. Now, Paul says, it's a fool to brag on yourself. But he says, lest you should think that my silence is agreement. He says, I'm going to spend a few moments and I'm going to do some glory. And he talks about in chapter number 11 all the things that he's done. In fact, look at it. We'll read a little bit of it. Give some context. In verse number 16, says, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me that I may boast myself a little. He says, I don't want you to really think I want to do this because I don't want to do this and I've tried not to do this. Don't think me a fool, but if you're going to receive me as a fool, I'm going to have to prove you wrong. He says, that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. You say, what's he saying there? Is he saying that's not inspired? No, that's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying, I know that this type of glorying wouldn't glorify the Lord, but God wants me to show this to you in the confidence of boasting so that you can learn a lesson from it. He says, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. You you know what he's saying? Can I give you modern hillbilly dialect for that? He's saying, dried up. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you get all twisted around if somebody says something against you, if somebody says something about you, if somebody smites you on the face. Let me tell you something. I've heard, I've heard of a lot of people leaving church, and I've heard of a lot of people leaving churches for a lot of reasons. And some of you may come up and give me a story afterwards. I know that. I know I've not heard all the stories. But in all the things that I've heard, and all the stories of people that said they left church mad, I ain't never heard of a one that said, I walked in and somebody punched me right in the nose. Amen? Never heard one of those. Now, maybe you've got one. I don't want to go to that church if you've got one. But Paul, Paul says, some of you, you get smitten on the face and you get upset. Boy, don't that put us to shame. I mean, how many people left church because somebody, uh, you know, swallowed a burp and looked at them cross-eyed or something, and they left church? The Corinthian believers, the most carnal of any church that Paul wrote to, he, he looked at me and he said, you get upset when somebody smites you on the face. Well, I promise you there's not a person in this room, uh, the present company included, that if, uh, if we walked into a church house, somebody punched us in the nose, we'd turn around. It, it, listen, we may come back, but we sure ain't staying for that service. Amen? And he says, somebody smites you on the face, you get upset. Paul said, let me tell you some things I've been through. Look what it says in verse number 21. I speak as concerning reproach. As though we had been weak. He says, we weren't weak. God helped us. But let me complain about it like we were weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. 
Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool now. He says, I'm not boasting. The Lord knows my heart. But if they say they're ministers of Christ, He says, I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. We probably just go on and say, on a train, on a plane, in a box with a fox. He says, I mean, he says, I've been treated any way a man can be treated. Look what he says. He says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without. He says, those are things that are without. But he said, besides all those, he says, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And he says, who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aratus, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hand. You say, what's Paul trying to get across? Paul's trying to say, well, I've been there, I've done that, and I've got the T-shirt saying, I'm a mature Christian. He's saying, if you wonder about my Christian testimony, he says, sit down for a little while and I'll play the part of a fool and I'll brag a little bit about some of the things I've been through. I don't want to. I know it doesn't glorify the Lord for us to brag on ourselves, but if it means proving in your heart and mind that I'm the real deal, he says, I'll sit down and I'll brag a little bit about the things that I've been through. He talks about things that most of us could never imagine. And then he comes to what is seemingly the pinnacle of his glory. Look in verse number 12. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Now, you can believe what you want. I believe it's probably when he was stoned to death outside the city of Lystra. You don't have to believe that. I won't be mad at you if you don't believe that, but that's what I believe. Because he says, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. He, he says, I don't know if God came to me or if I went to God. He says, I don't know if I was still in my physical body and just uh, caught up in a vision in the way that Isaiah had been, or if I literally died and was brought into the presence of God. He says, I can't tell, and God knoweth, and that's who matters, amen. That's what matters, amen, is that God knoweth. And he says, such an one caught up to the third heaven. He says, I don't know who was there, but I know where he was. I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body, but I know where I was. He says, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Don't you notice this? He says, of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmity. It seemed to me as I read this passage of Scripture that when Paul points us to the high place in his Christian life, he points us upward to the third heaven. 
But in fact, Paul does not. Paul says, of such an one will I glory. And what he's saying is in his achievements, in where he's been and in what he's done. He's saying that all the things that Paul's done don't amount to much. But if we talk about things that somebody's done, he says, God took me up into the third heaven. I won't glory in the things that I've done in and of myself, but I will glory in the things that God's done. I glory in Him. But then he changes gears and he says, of such an one I will not glory, or of such an one I will glory, but of myself I will not glory. Then he says, save in mine infirmities. I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach this right. I, I told Brother Kerry, I said, this is one of the rare occasions when I don't have an outline. Sometimes me and God play chicken about a sermon, okay? And, and sometimes I, he never swerves. And when we run head on into each other, that's when it's real good. Sometimes I swerve and it don't go like I hope it will. But I hope tonight me and God can just run into each other tonight. Because I want to say this just right. You'd think a man like Paul would point to the throne room as his greatest experience. But Paul, in fact, points to what happened after the throne room as the most important thing to ever take place in his life. You see, and I've titled the message tonight, Souvenirs from the Throne Room. There's some things that Paul got from the throne room that he didn't have before. You know, you could imagine what it'd be like. Man, all the, all the places and things we've talked about over four weeks. Well, man, what would it be like? What would you take home? I know how you carnal people are. You go home from vacation with a suitcase full of little soaps and towels. I know how you are. Maybe if you got to go to heaven for a few moments when you left, maybe you'd want to take something with you. Maybe you'd want to try to grab hold of one of them golden crowns the 24 elders is wearing. You better do it quick, I'd say notice. Or to grab hold of one of the, the harps that they have. And the Bible does say they have harps in chapter number 5. Maybe you'd want to grab hold of one of the golden vials that are the prayers of the saint. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there'd be some things. If you didn't get nothing else, you'd at least want to get a picture to remember it by. But Paul says, when I ascended up into the throne room, I saw things that were unspeakable. I heard things that were unspeakable. He says, when I came back, I didn't have anything that anybody on the surface would want. But there are some things that he brought back. And if I just give you this plain thought, it's this. You'd think there'd be a place we'd quit growing up, wouldn't you, in the Christian life? It's how the body is. There comes to a place. And I don't know when it is, but I'm starting to think it's about 27 years old. Or your body starts looking a lot more like it's dying than it looks like it's growing. Things change and things shift and you reach a tipping point. You're not growing anymore. You're diminishing and you're not waxing. You're waning. And you come to that place in your life. You think in the Christian life you get to a place where you've grown up. But we find that Paul goes through the throne room experience and it's a place of growth for him. This is a man that's endured things we could never imagine. But he says, I endured more when I came out of the throne room than I did when I went into the throne room. Some of you think you get to a place where you're exempt from the sufferings and the troubles and the sorrow. There's ever anybody that can say, Lord, I've put in my time, I've done my work, I've served, it ought to be easy from here on out. It was the Apostle Paul. I mean, listen, Paul, Paul died more times than a tomcat. 
Paul had been through more than any of us could ever fathom. But he says, if I'm going to go into the throne room, it's going to cost me some things. And let me tell you something tonight. Those high places, oftentimes they cost us things. Now, they're things that are worth paying, but sometimes they cost us some things. I don't know if I can say it right, so let me just keep preaching. I want you to notice three things that Paul got from the throne room. Three things that he didn't have before he went in, but things that he got through the throne room. And I'm just convinced that some of you tonight have probably got two or three of these things. I want you to look with me at verse number 7. Paul says this, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure..." Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. First off, I want you to notice that from the throne room, he got a messenger to buffet him. Well, I'm sure that's the last thing Paul expected. Don't you think so? I mean, surely whenever Paul left the throne room, he thought, oh, it's smooth sailing now. I'll never, listen, I'll never be without a message to preach. I'll never be without a moment to shout and to praise. I'll never, listen, I'll never have a hard time getting an audience again. He said, I've been in the throne room. It's smooth sailing now. The only problem is every sermon he heard up there was unspeakable. You know, sometimes folks don't understand what you heard and saw. Sometimes folks don't understand what you heard and saw. I was thinking about that this morning. I was preaching on Ezekiel chapter 1. We put the picture up. And I was thinking, boy, you know, this is going to be good if the Lord will help me do it. If I don't get in the pride of the flesh. And, and uh, some folks, I can tell they really got it. And other folks, I'd look out and they'd just have a funny look on their face. <laughs> sometimes it's tough to make other people see what you see. Hear what you hear. Paul goes into the third heaven and he hears some remarkable things. You'd think everything would be fine, but waiting on him when he uh, descends back to earth is a messenger from Satan to buffet him. Let me tell you something. You never outgrow persecution. And you never outgrow hard times. That's just the reality of this life we live in. Don't think for one moment just because you've gotten a glimpse of the backside of God. Don't think for a moment just because God's blessed you and helped you and there's been times when you've walked by His side, when you've fellowshiped with Him, when you've drank of the river of the water of life and sat down and snacked on the tree of life. Don't think just because there's been some times when God's touched your life and used you in a miraculous way. Don't think you've got this thing sewn up. Don't think you're never going to have hard times. I mean, if a man that had walked in the presence of God... I don't mean that figuratively. I don't mean that spiritually. I mean that literally had walked in the presence of God. When he gets back down to earth, if he's got a thorn in the flesh waiting on him, don't think for one moment that you've outgrown it. Because the reality is we all deal with persecution. I want you to notice, first off, this is a debilitating messenger. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. The Bible doesn't tell us what that thorn is. You've heard me say, and I'm sure... A hundred other preachers that it's a good thing it doesn't tell us. Because my thorn may not be like your thorn. Your thorn may not be like my thorn. Neither of our thorns may be like Paul's thorn in the flesh. But what we do understand, because he calls it a thorn in the flesh, is it's something that afflicted him. It's something, and very likely it had to do with bodily weakness. Because he talks later and he says, when I am weak 
then I am strong. And God looks at him and says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, it could have been some besetting sin. If you want to believe that, that's fine. But I believe it was probably some bodily ailment. You find in the book of Galatians that he writes to him and he says, you see how large a letter I have written with my own hand. That phrase, large a letter, it's not saying it's a real big letter in volumes. You might read the book of Galatians. No, it's not a real big letter in volume. What he's saying is he's saying, you see these big old letters that I'm writing you with? You see this big old print that I'm using to try to write to you? Most of the time, and there's a word for it. It's, 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 I think it's a pneumostosis or something like that. Boy, it sounds like some kind of growth you'd have, don't it? But there's a, there's a word uh, for the person that wrote the letters. I, my father-in-law probably knows what it is. He knows all kinds of words like that. I, at first, I thought the word pneumatic. And I thought, that don't sound right, does it? But there was, a, there was a word for those that, that pinned down letters. Paul usually had somebody like that that would pin down the letters for him. And, but when he writes the letter to the Galatians, what he's saying is this. When I heard of what was going on at the church at Galatians, I was so moved, I was so troubled, I was so disturbed that I sat down right then and right there and I began to write down with no one to help me, with no one to guide my feeble hand, with no one to pen my inspired words. He said, I sat down and took pen in hand and with big awkward letters began to write this to you because I wanted to get a hold of you. He says, see how large letters I've written unto you with mine own hand. He talks about the feebleness of his body. I believe it was probably, and Schofield calls it ophthalmia, but uh, probably it was some sort of debilitating eye disease that he had. You know, I kind of think it was this. I don't know, and maybe this is kind of cute sounding, but I kind of think after he saw heaven, nothing looked as good as it did before. Once he saw heaven, I mean, you know, the, you, know you can get eye problems from seeing too bright of a light. After he had seen heaven, there's just nothing measured up again. For the rest of his life, it was a disease that was debilitating to him. You know, I think this truth is probably more present in our minds than anything I'll preach tonight, and that is this, that one of the virtues of old age is feebleness of body. It's what happens. You break down. I remember when my pastor, he went through a little uh, time of having these little TIAs, these little mini-stroke attacks, and they tracked it down to some leaky valves in his heart. He was about 80 at that time, and I told some folks, I said, listen to me, if we had a car and it was 80 years old and the only problem was leaky valves, we'd be pretty pleased with that. We ought not complain. It could be something worse. The human body decays and breaks down, and that's the reality of life. But let me tell you something, if you follow the natural course of things in your Christian walk, that means this, the closer you get to God, the more feeble your body's going to get. It's a debilitating messenger. But I want you to notice it is a dangerous messenger. Now, there are two things that Paul says about them, and they seem to conflict. If we didn't know the way God is, they would seem to conflict. He says this. Notice what it says again. He says, I was given a messenger, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, I want to ask you something. Is the devil interested in keeping us humble? The devil's not interested in keeping us humble. He wants us as prideful as we can be. So these seem to be two conflicting statements. And I'll go ahead and just say what I'm going to say, and I'll preach the next point here in a second. Uh, This thorn in the flesh, this messenger, it may have been a thorn in the flesh from the Lord, but it could be a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Do you catch the, the word picture that's used there? It is a thorn from the Lord. A thorn has no will in and of itself. 
it is merely placed there to serve a purpose. A thorn is actually placed there to guard some things. You know that? The thorn is there as a barrier to keep you away from things. That's the reason uh, if you reach into a rose bush and you try to steal a rose from a rose bush and it's like most rose bushes, there's going to be a thorn there and it's going to prick your hand and it tells you something. It tells you that though it looks good, though it looks appealing, there's something under the surface that can hurt you. When the Lord gives it to him, it's a thorn in the flesh. It's meant to put some boundaries in his life. It's meant to keep him from some things. Now, you'd think a man went to heaven, he'd come back sanctified and never sin again. But that's not the reality of things. And you may say, well, preacher, I'm just getting better and better and better. That might depend on who you ask, amen? But you say, I'm just getting better and better and better. I got this thing sewed up. I don't need to walk close to God anymore. I don't need to worry about trials anymore. I don't need to read my Bible anymore. I don't need to cling to the Lord like Jacob did anymore. I don't need to grab hold of the horns of the altar in the prayer closet anymore. I got this thing sewed up. I'm up in years. I've seen it all. I've done it all. I'm okay. You might just find God comes along and puts a thorn in your flesh to get you to lean on Him again. But we find that it could be a second thing. I preached out of order. We see it's a divine messenger. And it can be. It was a thorn in the flesh. It was sent there. Listen carefully. It was there to agitate his flesh. You want to know why you're going through what you're going through? Some of you dealing with physical ailments. And I know you are, and you know I know you are. You want to know why it's there? It's there to agitate your flesh. It's there to remind. You say, why would God allow that in my life? I'm not saying you sinned and God sent it. That's not what I'm saying. But, but God's going to use it in your life because God uses everything in your life. And you say, how can God use that in your life? That's there to agitate your flesh. It's there to remind you that the flesh is not the be-all and the end-all. It's there to remind you that your flesh is frail and failing. It's there to remind you that your flesh does not get the ultimate victory. It's corrupt. It's degrading. It is heading for the grave. But the spiritual man is renewed day by day. And there's a better day coming. You know, as long as we feel pretty good about these bodies, we get attached. But then the Lord then the Lord touches us and we start to look like I do and we're not as attached to it as we used to be. It's a thorn in the flesh, but it can be a messenger of Satan. Now, we know two things about it if it's used as a messenger of Satan. One is this, it's going to be used to tell us something. If Satan uses the thorn in the flesh, he's going to use it to try to tell us and teach us something. The second thing that we know is that whatever it's going to tell us and teach us is false. Because he's the father of lies. The truth is not in him. Paul gets this messenger from Satan to buffet him, and it can be a dangerous messenger. It can be used of the Lord to agitate his flesh, or it can be used of the devil to bury his spiritual life. And Paul has a choice to make about it just like we all have a choice to make about it. It, can, it might not even just be a physical thing. I mean, I made that application. I believe the Lord wanted me to. But, but it, it, sometimes it can be spiritual problems. Sometimes it can be family problems, relationship problems. Sometimes it can be emotional problems in our life. But whatever it is, understand that God's still on the throne and it'll either better you or bitter you. And you have the say in what it does. Paul says, I was given both. 
I was given a thorn in the flesh that could be a messenger of Satan. And I had a choice to make. We see he was given a messenger to buffet him. But then notice verse number 8. He's given a messenger to buffet him, but then he's given a mystery to baffle him. Look what the Bible says, verse number 8. He says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Don't you notice first off his attitude? He didn't want it. You see, first off, an unwanted persecution. He didn't want it. He said, Preacher, am I supposed to, when I glory in mine infirmities, am I supposed to enjoy them? There's a difference between glorying and enjoying. Nobody enjoys feeling bad. Nobody enjoys trouble and sorrow. Nobody enjoys family problems. Nobody enjoys emotional hurdles to jump. I don't care who you are. You can put as broad a smile on your face as you want to. You can, listen, you can talk it up like it's the best thing in the world. But if you're human like I'm human, I know that somewhere in you, there's a part of you that pushes it away, says, I do not want this. And there's nothing wrong with that. I wish we were all more spiritual than Paul, you know. Some folks are, by the way they talk. And they want their thorn in the flesh. But I don't know. I've got a little bit left to go to get where Paul's at. When I've got a thorn in the flesh, I don't want it there. His attitude, he wanted to get rid of it. He didn't want trouble. He didn't want sorrow. He wasn't relishing in the sorrow because of the sorrow. But he relished in it and he gloried in it because of what God did through it. We see his attitude, but we see his appeal. He says, I didn't want this thing. I was troubled by this thing. This was a battle I didn't want to fight. This was a burden I didn't want to bear. And I went to the Lord and I asked Him three times to take it away. Now you might say, well, that don't sound like very many times. What do you think, preacher? I'd say, you and I probably don't pray the way Paul prayed. Now I don't know, but I'll tell you kind of what I believe. I believe when Paul says, I besought the Lord thrice... What he's saying is that went on my prayer list and off my prayer list three times. I don't think Paul's necessarily saying that on just three different occasions I went and I was praying and I was being real spiritual because, I, you know, I wanted this thorn in the flesh anyway, you know, because I'm real spiritual. And, and, and I just kind of let it slip out, Lord, please take this thorn away. Then didn't think anything about it. And a few months down the road, I came and I prayed to God again. And I said, you know, God, maybe I would like to get rid of this thorn in the flesh. Please take it away from me again. And then he goes back a third time. And he says, well, third time's a charm. Lord, please take this. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think Paul is a picture of persistent prayer in Scripture. I mean, they had him locked up in chains. And Silas said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to do what, the only thing we can do. We can sing and we can pray. And I think what he's saying is, I think he's saying it went on my prayer list and off my prayer list three different times. I think what he's saying is, I went through seasons of prayer about this thorn in the flesh. There were times when I went before God and persistently and consistently I believed that it was the will of God for Him to take it away. And so I prayed to that end and I asked God to take it away and I was persistent and I was faithful... And the Lord said, no. I lived with a little longer. And it got too heavy to bear again. 
So I put it back on my prayer list. And I started praying again about it and asking God to take it away. It says, eventually I gave up, took it off my prayer list. But I got a second wind and I put it on again. You say, how can the Lord get glory? How can the Lord get glory out of my sorrow and my trouble? Well, I don't know. It already drove the Apostle Paul to the throne room three more times. Three more times he went and got closer to God over it. Finally, the third time, the Lord says this. We see his answer. No. No, Paul. No. I know Creflo Dollar would tell you God never says no. But he does. He does. When it glorifies himself to say no, he says no. When it would hurt us to say yes, he says no. Even when we can't understand, he says no. You know something? Paul never really figures out why. He just eventually realizes that it must be for his own good. It'd be good if God gave us an explanation with the answers, wouldn't it? Don't you wish God would do that? I mean, listen, if God, had a, if God had a suggestion box, that'd be one of them I'd give him. I'd say, I'd really appreciate it if you'd start giving an explanation with your prayers. When I ask for something and you say no, it'd be nice if you said, this is why. But despite what most of contemporary Christianity believes, God don't have a suggestion box. And he says, Paul, no. No. It's interesting that the closer he gets to the throne room, the less he understands how it works. You'd think a man that's been in the throne room would know how to get things from the throne room. But can I just remind you that sometimes it's not about getting anything from God, it's about what you get from God. Sometimes it's not just about trying. Prayer is not a wrestling match. If it is, it's only because God's trying to wrestle us into submission, not us wrestle Him into submission. He's given a mystery that baffles Him, and it never changes for the rest of His life. But thirdly, He's given a message to bless Him. Look what it says. And it's hard really to not see Jacob wrestling with God in this experience. I mean, this is a man... That has been, and I think you'll understand what I mean. I say, I mean this physically. This is a man that's sort of been on level footing with God. You understand what I mean? Physically speak. Raise your hand if you understand what I mean by that. Physically speak. If somebody didn't raise their hand, explain it to them. Because I don't want that misunderstood. I'm not saying that he's been as, as righteous as God. I'm not, and Paul, but I'm saying this is a man that stood face to face with the Lord. This is a man that has stood face to face with God. And now when he comes out of the throne room, a wrestling match ensues. And God begins to wrestle him into submission. And at the end of it, just like Jacob, you remember what happened with Jacob? Jacob is face to face with God. He's wrestling God. And he, I mean, he's got God whooped. Read your Bible. He's got God whooped. The Bible says when he, speaking of the angel of the Lord, saw that he, speaking of Jacob, prevailed, he reached out his hand and touched the hollow of his thigh, and the sinner which he touched shrank. Jacob was winning. 
He was winning the wrestling match. Say, how did he do that? Well, God was letting him win. Lord, help, help them and me both to get what I just said. God was letting him win so that God could cripple him so he'd never try to walk away again. You ever notice how when someone gets out of the will of God, everything seems to be going pretty good for a while? You notice that? Someone gets out of the will of God, everything seems to be going pretty good for a little while. It seems to be going pretty smooth for a little while. So what's happening? God's letting them win. God's letting them get far enough back that when He jerks them back in, it's going to leave a scar. That way they don't try to go back out anymore. So that doesn't sound very loving. Well, He could let you go altogether. But he doesn't. Or he could just keep bringing you back in every few feet. You know what you'd keep doing? You'd keep going out every few feet. But instead, it starts to let Jacob win for a little while. Then when Jacob's got him whooped, God reaches out and touches him. How many people have you seen that happen to? I've seen it happen to a lot. Things was going pretty good. They didn't need church, they didn't need preaching, they didn't need their Bible, they didn't need prayer. They had that new job, they had those new friends, they had that new hobby, things going pretty good. And then the chastening and heavy hand of God reaches out and touches them. And all of a sudden, the seat of their power and strength is knocked out. And now all of a sudden, Jacob is holding on to God. I wasn't even preaching on Jacob. Now he's not got a hold of God. God's got a hold of him. And he's holding on. And the Lord says, let me go. And he says, I will not let thee go. And the Lord looks down and he says, Jacob, now you've got it. Jacob, now you've got it. And he says, what is your name? He says, Jacob. Says your Jacob's no more. Your name is no more Jacob. Now it's Israel. As a prince, thou hast prevailed. You know how a prince prevails by bowing his knee to the king. That's how a prince prevails. Prince doesn't prevail by trying to put the crown on himself. Jacob had spent his whole life trying to put the crown on himself. Now God touches his thigh, God cripples him, he won't let him go, and he says, I will not let thee go, and he puts the crown back on the Lord's head, and the Lord says, now you've got it, Jacob. You've prevailed as a prince does. You've prevailed by bowing the knee to the king. Paul's sort of going through this same thing. And he's wrestling, he's begging God to take it away, but God wins the wrestling match as He always does. But He gives him a message that helps him. I want you to notice these. I'm just going to hit them and I'm done. Verse number 9, He gives him a promise. He says, My grace is sufficient for thee. What did he learn when he went in the throne room? He learned that God can be his everything. He learned that God can be his everything. Let's, somebody come to the piano and let's play. I'm not going to keep going. I believe the Lord's done tonight.